us, but a lot of the school. Uh, you, you guys support several of the students, and we truly appreciate that. I have changed my mind on the lesson that I was going to preach, and so I'm pulling up the one he, we just sang, Set My Feet on Higher Ground. And so I want to change the lesson this morning. I was going to preach on the Christian life is a life of caring. But the lesson that I'm going to present to you this morning now is called Reviving Our Trust. And this lesson is designed to set our feet on higher ground. Faith and trust are synonymous terms. When one speaks of faith, he is speaking of trust. When one speaks of trust, he is speaking of faith. We live in an age certainly of doubt. We live in an age of distrust. We live in a time where we are accustomed to thinking that everything and everybody at some time in our life is going to fail us. But God is never going to fail us. He will never fail us, He will never forsake us, and He will never leave us. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and following. To begin this morning, I want to give you some reasons why you should be able to trust in God. First off, God has a perfect track record. You can never ever look in Scripture, and by the way, that's the only way that we can know God, and that's the only way we can know anything about God is by looking in His Word. And there's no place where you can ever point in Scripture where God has ever failed the human family. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Unto Him who is able. Now you notice that. God is able. Able what? To do. Now, a lot of people are able to talk. They talk a good game. They're able to talk, 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 but God is able to do. How much, Paul, can God do? Well, He is able to do exceeding. How much, Paul? Exceeding abundantly. How much, Paul? Exceeding abundantly above. How much and beyond all that we could ask or think. Now, one might usually say that relative to the Greek language, that people don't normally lay it on that thick. But Paul knew the ability that God had. That he's not just able to talk a good game, he is able also to perform what he said he would do. But not only is God able, God is deep and able. Zephaniah 3 and 5 says of God that he faileth not. There's his deep ability. Now, as we think of ability and dependability, let's suppose you have a roof leak. And you get into the phone book, if anybody uses those anymore, and you look up the roofers, and you call the first one that's listed, and he says, I'll be there at 8 a.m. in the morning to fix your roof. And he assures you that he has all the tools, and he has all the wherewith, he has the knowledge and ability to fix your roof. Eight o'clock comes. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Still no roofer. Well, he was not very dependable, was he? And he what? He, he, so you get back into the phone book and you call the second roofer listed. And he says, I'll be there at 8 a.m. in the morning 
to fix your roof. 8 a.m. comes, he's setting up a ladder to climb up on your roof to fix your roof. But he can't do it. He's dependable, but he didn't have the ability. God is both able and dependable. He fails not. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think. You had any big dreams lately? You had any big thoughts lately? No matter how deeply we think, no matter how big our dreams and thoughts may be, our God is both able to do even above and beyond all of that. In Romans 4, verses 20 and 21, Paul, speaking of Abram, said that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, for he accounted him as able to perform what he said he would do, also to perform it. And that's the kind of faith that you and I need, is it not? You recognize Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. There's things that we buy that we sell. There's things that we buy and they grow old and we want to discard one to get the other and we want to update and modernize, but the truth isn't like that. The more discoveries you make, the more discoveries lie just beneath the surface. The more little golden nuggets of truth you find, the more there remains to yet find. Buy the truth and sell it not. Put your full weight down on God. When we talk about faith and trust, the kings of the Old Testament would be seen coming out in public and they would be seen as to lean back on their advisors so as to show that they are not counting or trusting in the slender boughs of their own understanding. You and I need to let our full weight down on God. And we need to show God that as we unearth these little gems and these little nuggets in His Word, that we are willing to do them. Psalm 121.4 The God that keeps Israel shall never sleep nor slumber. God's always awake. God never goes to sleep at the switch. God never needs a nap. A little girl, she was about six years old. She came out of the Sunday school class and she said, Mama, Daddy, I learned that God is on the phone. The teacher had said that God was on the throne. And she came out and said, I learned that God is on the phone. And while that may produce a little giggle, God is always open and attendant to our prayer calls. God is always awake. He is never asleep. I want to share some 19 or 20 verses with you real brief, real briefly. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Six of the most popular verses in all of God's revelation to mankind. 
These verses are read and they are spoke at funerals and at gravesides. Preachers have preached sermon after sermon after sermon on the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23. But to think, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, the shadow of a dog cannot bite you. The shadow of this building cannot fall upon you. The shadow of a car cannot strike you down. And death to the faithful child of God is but a shadow. There's something bigger than death. And it's called the resurrection on the final day. When we shall be raised by the power of God. When He will come and come and press us to His bosom. Carry us home to live with Him forever. And that while the ages roll on. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. The Lord is my refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the beauty and power and majesty of Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep you in perfect peace. If your mind is stayed on Him. Matthew 6.33 But seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The food, shelter, and clothing that we so often spend our life, our time, our energy, and our efforts to get. God says just put me first in your life and these things will be given unto you. In Acts 17, beginning in verse 14 and going on down through, Paul is on a rickety old ship and he's going from Caesarea to Rome. A rockladon, a, a mighty tempest blows in and the ship is going to be lost. They jettison the cargo. They jettison the tackling. They throw out the anchors and still the ship is going to be lost. And Paul said there in that text, an angel of the Lord stood beside me this night. And he told me that we're not going to lose even one life. And he said, I have believed God. And it shall be even as he has said unto me. If you have a copy of the Word of God, look with me in Romans, the 8th chapter. We all know Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to them that love God to those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 31 and 32 of that chapter, If God be for us, who can be against us? And he that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? There's three verses I want us to know in, note in particular. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself, watch it now, maketh intercession for us. Circle those two little words, for us. In verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, circle those two little words, for us. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ is for us. The Holy Spirit is for us. God is for us. Now knowing that, 
What can the world do to you today to make you have a bad day? If we were to quit and go home right now, what could happen? God is for us. Christ is for us. The Holy Spirit is for us. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk, in his hymn of faith, he said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet. Verse 18. Notice this, it's beautiful. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk said, when I look into the stall, and there's no beefsteak, when I look into the field and the grain, the olives have not borne. There's no fruit on the vine. He said, then I will put my trust in God. We so often look into our freezers and our empties and our cupboards are barren and we say, I knew you couldn't trust him. Habakkuk said, that's when I put my trust in God. When all of the chips are down. In Genesis 15, there's a little interlude. In Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, God speaking to Abram, and he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. God told Abram 400 years before Israel went into Egyptian captivity. And he told them what would happen. He told them that they would be afflicted and that they would serve for 400 years. And he already knew what would take place. Now look with me in Exodus chapter 3 and at verse 6. In Exodus chapter 3 in verse 6. Let's see if God keeps His word. We can trust a God that does not lie. Yea, let God be found true in every man a liar. Romans 3 verse 4. Exodus 3 and verse 6. Moreover, He said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out, out into that large land, into a good land, flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Notice, friends, God said, Abraham, your people are going to be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they're going to serve and they're going to be afflicted for 400 years. And he said, and then that nation which punishes them, I will judge and I will bring them out. We get to Exodus chapter 3 and he says, I have seen the affliction. 
and I have heard their cry. He said, therefore, I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. And friends, that is a direct fulfillment of what God told Abraham he would do in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. God keeps and he honors his word. Now, God led them out, and he brought them out, but Israel didn't do the way God wanted them to do. But God offers His grace to us today. While many people do not do with God's grace the way He wants them to do. Now there will be a day of reckoning. Of course there will be. There's going to be a day when we're going to have to sit down and talk to Jesus about the decisions and the choices that we have made. We are going to answer for the way that we have lived. Now, if you will, open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 1. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, and let me just set the stage from what I want to say from Deuteronomy chapter 1. God led Israel out by His mighty power. And it took them about three months to get from Egypt to Sinai, sometimes called Horeb, same mountain. And they stayed there a year. And they left there and they went to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was a very important spot in the wilderness for the children of Israel. For as you know, that's where they sent in the twelve spies to spy out the land. And Caleb and Joshua came back and they said, Man, get your swords. Let's go take the land. God's on our side. But Israel believed the ten evil spies. And they wondered in the wilderness for 40 years. They had spent one year at the mountain and they wandered for 38 years and they go back to the mountain and they spend that last year, the 40th year, and everyone that was 20 years old and up had died. And so they go back to Kadesh Barnea, they regroup, and from there they make the final push across the Jordan River and capture the city of Jericho. You remember that story quite well, I would, I would suggest, and I would think. But if you're still open to Deuteronomy chapter 1, notice verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 2. There are 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir into Kadesh Barnea. From the mountain of God at Horeb, to where they went in to conquer the land, you could walk it in 11 days, and they wandered in that area that you could walk in 11 days. They wandered for 40 years. Don't you know they had a little deja vu? Man, we've seen this before. They were like fish in a bowl. They were there, and they could not get out. Friends, our God is a powerful God. And it was because of their rebellion that they were made to wonder like that. But God is faithful. And I know that God is faithful because I have read Joshua 21, verses 43 and 45. Not one solitary single thing that God ever promised Israel ever failed. And He gave them the land. And the premillennialists today that are still waiting for the fulfillment of the land promise, they're waiting in vain, friends, because... In the days of Joshua, God had fulfilled the land promise to the seed of Israel. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. 
with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. We sing that little song, do we not? That our God is an awesome God. And how awesome is our God? In Genesis 1-1, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, And He said, Let us make man in our own image, and after our own likeness. For in the image of God made He him male and female, created He them. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, This awesome God that we serve took ordinary dirt and rolled up a man out of it and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. What is the host of them? Well, that's the stars. That's the sun, moon, and stars. Psalm 33 and verse 9, He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Psalm 33, 15 says that He forms. King James uses the word fashions their hearts alike. Friends, this awesome God, He's a universe maker. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the word of His mouth, by His breath, it said the host of them were made. He's a star breather. He's a heart former, Psalm 33 and 15. Look at what He can do. What an awesome God. Now we know by now that we can trust God. Can God trust us? You know in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4, God said that He has placed us in trust with the gospel. Is the gospel safe in our hands? In 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, Paul said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about the gospel. In earthen vessels, in the Greek, it's literally clay pots. And I know we all get a little cracked sometimes, and maybe that makes us crack pots. I don't know, but I know the gospel has been placed in earthen hands. Is it safe in our hands? Next this morning, I want us to talk about the realization of trust. And I want us to talk about David. So if you will, open up with me to 1 Samuel 17, passage very familiar to us all. But I promise you, no, no matter how many times we cover this material from knee-high to tree-high, it is profitable for us, and there's things that we can learn. So we want to start in about verse 32, and read down through about verse 37, and we'll skip a few. Now what's happened is Israel is on one mountain, down the slope, across a brook Elah, and up on the other side of the mountain are the Philistines, and they have a champion. And he's nine feet, six inches tall, about 600 pounds of battle-hardened muscle. A warrior! Jesse tells David, says, Son, take these cheeses and these wines and go see how your brethren fared. Give me a report on how the war is going. David does what Jesse asks, and he goes. And as soon as he gets there, his eldest brother starts in on him. What are you doing here? You're just here to make a name for yourself. And by the way, what did you do with those few sheep we left you in charge of to tend? Sometimes your greatest critics will come from those that you love the most and should love you the most. But Goliath has come out 80 times morning and night, and challenged Israel. 
Send out a man to fight with me and winner takes all. Forty times, morning and night. And David said unto Saul in verse 32, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he be a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came out a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And he, uh, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. I want to pause just here. Now we know that Saul should have been the one to go fight with this Philistine. He was the king. The Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody that was in Israel, right? But you know what Saul's problem was? He had a lot of Rhode Island red in him. And some of you in the older generation will get this. He, had a, he was a chicken. He had a lot of cowardice in him. But you, you recall what Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this man to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he be a man of war from his youth. You know what is what David did when Saul said that? David called back in time when he had two great victories. Learn this. Every victory you have, you write those victories in stone. Every loss, every reversal, every upset, every defeat, you write those in sand. But you write your victories in stone. And you don't ever forget them because that's what David points to. God was with me then. God will be with me now. God is preparing you for a greater challenge ahead. You write your victories in stone. Verse number 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? that thou comest to me with staves, that is, sticks, and the Philistine cursed David by his God. Boy, right there is where Goliath dropped his candy, ain't it? Goliath took it out of a realm between him and David, and he put it in the realm of a theological battle, and the Philistine gods cannot handle David's God. And the Philistine, verse 44, said unto David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thine head from thee, 
And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Don't ever forget that. Write your losses in sand. Write your victories in stone. And don't ever forget the battle is the Lord's. Verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. Verse 57. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Get it, friends. David jumped up on the chest of Goliath, drew Goliath's own sword, severed his head from torso, and took the head and the sword back to Jerusalem. I can hear David's mama. That ain't going on the wall, son. You ain't bringing that in my house. David no doubt hung that sword on his wall. And every night before he slumbered off into unconsciousness, he could look at that sword and he could say the battle is the Lord's. Every morning before his feet hit the floor, before when he awoke from the sleep that he had just enjoyed, he could look at that sword and he could say the battle is the Lord's. Write your victories in stone. Don't ever waste or forget a victory. God was with me then. God will be with me now. Now there's the realm of trust. We've already quoted Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have the power of God. Think of it. The God that scooped out the seeds and the God that heaped up the mountains. The God that flung out the stars. The God with all of that power. That's our God. And He's on our side. And He is for us. And Christ is for us. And the Spirit is for us. And if they are for us, who can be against us? But we also have the provisions of God. You ever read Psalm 37, 25? David said, I once was young, and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Two to four million people left Egypt to feed that many people would take two freight trains, each a mile long, every day. And they were there for 40 years. To cook a little food and to keep themselves. Uh, they would. They, they were in the desert, so it gets really cold at night, even below freezing. So they would have to have firewood. And to bring in that much firewood would take several more freight trains, each a mile long, every day. They were there for 40 years. They were in the desert. And it gets really hot in the day. Two to four million people, plus their animals, had to have water. And to bring in that much water would take a freight train that would reach from Dallas, Texas to Boston, Massachusetts. 1,800 miles of tanker cars just to bring in water. 
And they had to cross the Red Sea in one night. Now, if they went across, if there was a little spot in the sea where they could have crossed two abreast, the line would have been 800 miles long, and it would have taken 35 days and nights for them to cross. For that many people to cross in one night, there had to be a breach in the sea that was three miles wide, and they would have had to cross 5,000 abreast just to get over in one night. To camp each night would take in a, a place that would have been two-thirds the size of the state of Rhode Island, 750 square miles. And they were there for 40 years. Do you think Moses had all this figured out before he left Egypt? No. No, no, no. Our God is an awesome God. And a God that can take care of a nation of people that size, He can take care of your problems. I'm promising you, there's no problem that you got that our God can't handle. He can do exceeding, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask and think. And not only do we have the power and the provisions of God, we have the promise of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Friends, that was the hardest promise that God ever made that He kept. And if He'll keep the hardest promise... He'll also keep all the other promises of God of His as well. But we also have the presence of God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, God's saying, I'm going to be there. I will be there with you. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28 and 20. And then we have the precepts of God. Through thy precepts I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 104. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 105. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Now as we think of trust, reviving our trust, what an awesome God. Don't ever waste a victory. Now do we trust God enough to stand up for His cause, to respect His warnings, to love Him more than we love anything else, to put Him first in our life. Do you realize that God will not occupy a heart with an idol in it? And we can be an idol in our own heart, and God is not going to come in and say, scoot over, move over a little bit so I can sit on the throne of your heart and co-rule with you in your heart. He who gives God second place gives God no place. Friends, are we willing to trust God enough to live for heaven? Do you really want to go to heaven? For heaven you must yearn, toward heaven you must turn, and of heaven you must learn if you really and truly want to go to heaven. I don't know if you have problems in your life or if you had reasons that have caused your faith in God and your trust in God to waver, but if you don't have an unreservedly trust in Jehovah God this morning, 
we would beg with you and plead with you to consider the evidence of God's awesome power and His ability and His love for you and what He has done to procure your and my salvation for all eternity. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Do you believe the things in which you have heard this morning? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John 8 and verse 24. Verse 32, He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There's nothing else but the truth that will set you free from the bonds of sin. Are you willing to repent of your sins? Luke 13, 3, he said, Nay, I tell you, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 17, 30, at the times of man's ignorance, God once winked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why, Paul? Because he has appointed a day when he shall judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has ordained, that man being Jesus the Christ. Are you willing to confess the deity of Christ? Romans 10, 9 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then, all of those steps being accomplished has made your faith viable enough to give your body to be buried with your Lord by baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life. You do that, friends. The Lord will add you to His beautiful body, the bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have done that. Maybe you were once accompanied with the saints and you once walked in the light as He is in the light, but for some reason you've allowed the world back down into your bloodstream. And the life that you have been living has said to the world and everyone else that you don't trust in God. Friends, will you not be His brother Simon? In Acts the 8th chapter and at verse 22, Repent one and pray to that perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. If we can do anything for you and address anything in any way for you this morning, please don't hesitate. Come right now as together we stand and as we sing.